Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Welcome to our episode today on the teachings of Elder Ballard. And once again, as we discuss all of our prophets, seers, and revelators, how do you just focus on you know, several select teachings? But that's exactly what we have to do in the time constraints that we have. And so I'd like to develop several themes when it comes to these teachings. And one of them comes from a talk that was given many years ago. In fact, you can still Google it and find it. It was called An Evening with Elder M. Russell Ballard, and the title of the talk was to res- respond to the promptings of the Spirit. It was given on the 8th of January, 1988, to religious educators. It's called An Evening with a General Authority. That was a once-a-year meeting where general authorities would offer training and teaching uh, to those who taught seminary and institute. And I share that with you to say, so it's probably a talk that's not as widely known as others, because it was given to a select group. But in that talk, as Elder Ballard focused on the Spirit, and maybe I should say this first, that when it comes to following the Spirit, that Elder Ballard really follows the pattern of President Monson. He is one who has learned to respond to the promptings and go wherever those promptings have taken him. And uh, here's his great statement. He said that learning to respond to the promptings of the Spirit did not all of a sudden happen in my life, but it has grown line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And then he goes into some great examples of how he has learned to follow the Spirit. Now, because I've already told the story in the previous podcast of the Ford Motor Company and the Edsel, we'll skip that story, but that is the first story that he shared of how he learned the hard way and how many of us have to learn the hard way that when the Spirit speaks to us, we really need to respond. In his case, he was told not to sign the Edsel franchise, but he ended up going against that prompting, and it proved to be one of the one of the most difficult business decisions of his life. But here's another one that I think you'll appreciate. He said, I was sitting at my desk at, in the church office building several years ago when I had a prompting to go to the LDS hospital. I had heard indirectly that a very dear former neighbor and ward member from when I served as bishop in Holiday had been taken to the hospital with a heart problem. I told my secretary to please cancel everything for the next hour that I had to go to the hospital. She reminded me that I had a full schedule. I told her I knew it would be difficult for her to adjust the schedule, but I knew I had to go to the hospital. I did not know why. All I knew was I had the prompting to go. I would like to read to you what my friend wrote to me seven years after this experience. I had no idea until I reviewed this letter of the impact of that visit. He writes, About 3.40 or 4 o'clock p.m. on May the 10th, I had an attack which I interpreted as coronary. I called my physician and went to his office. He and another cardiologist, after an extensive examination, found nothing. Diagnosis, indigestion. I knew otherwise and insisted I go to the hospital for observation. I knew I'd never get home, I think a prompting of the spirit. When I got to the hospital, my doctor had called and sent me to the emergency room. There they came up with nothing. I said, why then is my lower jaw getting numb, my left arm starting to tingle, and I have labored breathing? The doctor looked at the monitor again and said, code blue, stat. That is when I had a real coronary. I would have died had I not been in the hospital. When you, now speaking to Elder Ballard, the friend speaking to Elder Ballard, when you came to my bedside in the intensive care unit, I watched you and heard you administer to me from another vantage point. I saw you with your hands on my head, and I heard you bless me with total recovery, which greatly relieved me. As I opened my eyes, I saw a nurse standing over me. I asked if anyone else was in the room. She said that you, Elder Ballard, had been there to administer to me while I was sleeping. All of a sudden, my vital signs changed 
The doctor decided to wait and see. I was improving so much. In five days, I was out of the intensive care with no unusual therapy. I had a remarkable recovery in a month. I insisted on knowing what happened. My doctor explained that all of us have a right and left coronary artery. My right coronary was totally obstructed right at the heart and still is. The right ventricle is one half gone. For some reason, the blood supply from my left coronary artery spread to all other areas of my heart. This is not supposed to happen without a bypass or much time. I have had total recovery of eight years. I work eight to ten hours a day, play golf, walk each day, and even water ski with care. Now this is back to Elder Ballard. Now, brothers and sisters, Elder Ballard said, I ask you a question. What would have happened had I not gone to the hospital? Well, the Lord probably would have nudged somebody more faithful and more attentive to duty than me. But I have come to know the voice, and when I hear it, I move, he said. Now, to us and for us, this is a great uh, revelation and a great reminder of how important it is for all of us to first seek for the Spirit in our lives, to cultivate it, to do things that would invite the Spirit to be with us, such as scripture study, prayer, temple worship, serving others, whatever those things look like for, for you. But then to follow those promptings when they come, those nudgings when they come. And Elder Ballard is so wonderful at that. Now, let me share one more of those experiences. In fact, it comes from the same person who told the story of the heart attack. He wrote to Elder Ballard this, You came to my home one very cold, wintry Sunday, about 9.30 p.m. The wind was blowing. There was deep snow when I opened the door. I guess I was so startled that you had to ask, that I, you had to ask me if you could come in. You told my wife and me that you had just returned from a state conference in the Deep South. The stake I do not recall, but you told us that you interviewed everyone Saturday afternoon and evening to fill the office of stake president. When you finished the last interview late Saturday night, you asked the stake president who else there was to interview. The president said there was one brother, but he was a chief pilot for a large corporation and was out of town most of the time. You asked for a meeting with him at 6.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. And as he walked in the door, you took one look at him and called him to be the stake president. And he said, what am I going to do about my responsibilities of flying for the corporation? He was 64 years old, and you told him that he would retire early and manage the stake. He did just that and did a marvelous job. Now, isn't that a great story? I'm just, I'm just pulling out of that for a minute to say, wow, uh, you interviewed this person who is a, a chief pilot and very happy in their career, and you say as an apostle, actually, you're done. You're going to retire and be a stake president. I love that. Now back to the story. The man telling the story said to Elder Ballard, you said you were tired, but all the way home from Georgia, my wife and I were on your mind, and you needed to talk to us. We were going to the Orient to pick up our son when he was released from his mission, and then we'd board a ship for a cruise up the Yangtze River in China. You sat down and said to us, I do not have any idea or reason why you should not go on this trip, but you must not go. My wife literally had a fit. You gave her a blessing to quiet her down. You were far more popular when you came into the house than when you left. My wife was still going to pick up our son. We prayed after you left because unbeknownst to you, there was an $8,000 payment to be made on that trip the very next day. We decided to believe in the prompting of the Spirit. So the next morning, we canceled the cruise. The tour people stated that this cruise had been sold out for months. It was extremely popular, so there was no problem. The tour people called a few days later and told us that when the ship came into the port in Hong Kong, it was taken over by the International Maritime Authorities for non-payment of debt, and it was to be sold to satisfy the judgment. The people who were on the cruise were now stranded in Hong Kong, could get no money, and had no place to stay or go. I was still recovering from that heart attack, and this would have been a disastrous amount of stress for me. My wife and I then understood again the love and of the love that the Lord has for our family. Well, once again, another great story of Elder Ballard following the promptings. Really, it's he's here. He is sharing his concerns with a former ward member. But the Lord revealed that to him, and he acts upon the promptings he feels as an apostle and goes and shares his concerns with his family.
They're not super happy about what Elder Ballard is telling them, but they decide to trust in the Lord and to trust in his servants. And then later they see of how important it was to not be on those cruise ships. Now, once again, prophets see around corners, or to put it bluntly, prophets see things that we just can't see. Now, in this talk that I'm referring to, there are several other just super powerful experiences of Elder Ballard following the Spirit. I mean, I wish we had time to read all of them, but I'm just, I just can't resist. I have to read this one more. So he's in Argentina. Elder Ballard is. He's in, uh, no, he's in Montevideo, Uruguay with uh, Elder J. Thomas Fiennes. Then they come back to Argentina late one night. They're both tired. They're both exhausted. They're going to go to bed. They want to go to bed. And then prior to retiring that night, we learned that a missionary in the northern part of Argentina had been shot by some hoodlums who had come into the missionary's apartment to harass them. We checked on all the details with the missionary department in Salt Lake City, and there seemed to be no reason for concern. But at four o'clock in the morning, I had the strongest impression that we were to go to Cordoba to visit this missionary. I waited until 5 a.m. to talk to Elder Fiennes. I told him we needed to go to Cordoba to see Elder Hall. He reminded me of the appointments we had scheduled, but agreed that we should go. We made arrangements to fly, and when we landed and got off the airplane, we were greeted by the mission president and his wife. One look at them, and I knew why the Lord had sent us there. They were emotionally and physically drained over this awful tragedy that had come into their mission. We went to the mission home, and there we met the companion of the missionary who had been shot. He was struggling with whether or not he should return home. It was a terrible experience for those two missionaries. We blessed the mission president, a marvelous blessing from the Lord came to that good man. Then we blessed his wife. Then we blessed the missionary companion who was there. Then we went to a bedroom and blessed a native Argentine missionary who was just out of the hospital four hours after the removal of his appendix. After those four blessings, we went to the hospital to see Elder Hall. We blessed him, and on this occasion, the impression came to me that we were to move him out of Argentina as quickly as we possibly could. Finding an air ambulance to fly him to Buenos Aires was not easy. From there, seven seats were purchased on Pan American Airlines to fly him to Los Angeles, and from there, an air ambulance took him to Salt Lake and to the University of Utah Hospital. An elder and Sister Fiennes accompanied him. When I saw Elder Hall's mother a few days later, I again knew why the Lord prompted me at four o'clock in the morning to go to Cordoba to see her son. And then Elder Ballard said this, Do you understand, brothers and sisters? I wish that I could report to you that Elder, Elder Hall was healed. Spiritually, he is a giant. He is attending Rick's College. He gets about in a wheelchair. We all learned a great deal from a difficult experience. Now, I don't... All the, all the details to that experience are not there, but obviously Elder Hall was shot in a way where he was paralyzed, let's say, um, you know, paralyzed maybe from the waist down or something like that. But otherwise, he was healthy and well and able to resume his life. But what a tremendous experience of Elder Ballard once again responding to a prompting of the Spirit at an inconvenient time. And for most of us, those promptings do come at times that we don't expect And once again, the invitation and the blessing comes as we act on those promptings. The next section of messages that I would like to break into here just for a second is that of family. Elder Ballard has given so many addresses on the family and the importance of family. He's been a great advocate of the family proclamation. And I remember this talk very specifically Fathers and Sons, A Remarkable Relationship. It was in 2009. It was in October. And in my specific case, my son had just returned from his mission in August. He had come home. We lived in the Dallas area at the time. He'd come home for almost a week or two and then had to be right up at BYU just so quickly. And so I took that opportunity in October to come up to spend a little bit more time with him. And we went to general conference together, and now we were at the priesthood session together. And I just remember the significance of this message as I sat next to my son after he had gone on a mission and now was home. And um, anyway, just it was very meaningful to me. Elder Ballard said this, Tonight I want to talk to you fathers and sons about how you talk to each other. 
There is no relationship quite like that which can and should exist between a boy and his dad. It can be one of the most nurturing, joyful relationships in life, one that can have a profound impact on who boys become and also on who dads become. Now, I understand that some of you young men do not have fathers with whom you can have these kinds of conversations, and some of you men do not have sons or have lost your sons to accident or illness. But much of what I say tonight will apply to uncles and grandfathers and priesthood leaders and other mentors who sometimes fill the gaps for these significant father-son relationships. Now, I'm going to take a time out here for a minute and just share with you, this is why in my mind, understanding the history and the biographies of our apostles is so important, because as Elder Ballard talks about this idea that priesthood holders and other leaders in boys' lives can have a huge impact. We know that it's significant because in his own life, he didn't have a father who he went to church with, and that it was priesthood leaders that had reeled him in and stayed close to him and uh, helped mold and shape his life. So, first thing he does in this talk is Elder Ballard gives three specific suggestions to young men And I love this because so often when it comes to building strong families, we put most of the focus and responsibility on parents. It's the parent's job to have a great family. It's the parent's job to have family home evening and and have these spiritual practices in the home. But I love the idea that it's also the job of our children. They have responsibility too. It's not just the parents that are supposed to carry the whole load. And so Elder Ballard's going to give three specific Uh, admonitions to young men. And the first one is, first he says to trust your father. He's not perfect, but he loves you and would never do anything he didn't think was in your best interest. So talk to him. Share your thoughts and feelings and your dreams and your fears. The, the The more he knows about your life, the better chance he has to understand your concerns and to give you good counsel. And when you put your trust in your dad, he will feel the responsibility of that trust and try even harder to understand and to help. Second, Elder Ballard said, take an interest in your father's life. Ask him about his job, his interest, his goals. How did he decide to do the work that he does? What was he like when he was your age? How did he meet your mom? And as you learn more about him, you may find that his experiences help you to better understand why he responds the way that he does. Watch your dad and watch how he treats your mother and watch how he performs in his church callings. You'll be surprised what you learn about him just by watching him and listening to him. Oh boy, I think that's such great, such great counsel. And then number three, ask your father for advice. Let's be honest. He's probably going to give you his advice whether you ask for it or not. But it just works out so much better when you ask. Ask for his advice on church activity, on classes, on friends, on school. Ask for his counsel on your church responsibilities, on preparing for your future mission, on the big decisions you have to make. Nothing shows respect for another person as much as asking for his advice. Because what you're really saying when you ask for advice is, I appreciate what you know and the experiences you have had and i value your ideas and suggestions those are nice things for a father to hear from his son then elder ballard gives three great suggestions to fathers and the first one is to listen and if there's one thing i've learned in my life over and over again it's that we need to be better listeners both as church leaders, but also as parents and as spouses, to listen, listen, listen. And I know so many that have such a hard time just just keeping their mouth shut, so to speak, so they can hear others. So I love this idea of listening to your sons. Really listen to them, he says. Ask the right kinds of questions and listen to what your sons have to say each time you have a few minutes together. You need to know, not to guess, but to know what is going on in your son's life. Don't assume that you know how he feels just because you were young ones. Your sons live in a very different world from the one in which you grew up. And as they share with you what's going on, you'll have to listen very carefully without being judgmental in order to understand what they are thinking and experiencing. Now I'm pulling out of that for a minute, end of quote. But 
even though Elder Ballard shared that message in 2009, think of how much more relevant it is, it is today. Our children, not just our sons, but our children are growing up in a world so different. Not, not only so different than the world that we grew up in, but so different in the world four years ago or two years ago. And so it's very important that we listen to them and find out where they are. And then Elder Ballard added this to this idea of listening, but he said, find your own best way to connect. Some fathers like to take their sons fishing or to sporting events. Others like to go on a quiet drive or work side by side in the yard. Some find their sons enjoy conversations at night just before going to bed. Do whatever works best for you. A one-on-one -on -one relationship should be a routine part of your stewardship with your sons. And every father needs at least one focused quality conversation with his sons every month during which they can talk about a few specific things like school, friends, feelings, video games, text messaging, worthiness, faith, and testimony. Uh, when this happens, he says actually where or when this happens isn't nearly as important as the fact that it happens, he said. Now, once again, what a great, uh, what a great, what great counsel given years ago. That's even more relevant today of that need to listen. What I would add to that, from my experience, is maybe it's not even so much as okay, fathers, find out how you connect best and what's best for you. But okay, what's best for your son? What's best for your daughter? Even I mean, how do we connect with them at their level? What are they looking for? Number two, the second suggestion that Elder Ballard gave to fathers is to pray with and for your sons. Give them priesthood blessings. A son who is worried about a big exam or a special event will surely benefit from a father's priesthood blessing. Occasions like the start of a new school year, a birthday, or as they begin to date may be opportune times to call upon the Lord to bless your son. One-on-one -on -one prayer and the sharing of testimonies can draw you closer to each other as well as closer to the Lord. I think this idea of praying with your children just one-on-one -on -one is incredible. To kneel down before our Heavenly Father and to share with our Father in Heaven how much you love this child, how much they mean to you, and what your concerns are for them. And to please bless him or her in these areas, to be very specific, I think is super meaningful and relevant and it could be an experience that changes their life. The third principle that Elder Ballard shared with dads, he called it dare to have the big talks with your sons. And you know what I mean, he said. Talks about drugs and drinking, about the dangers of today's media, pornography, priesthood worthiness, respect for girls, moral cleanliness. And while these should not be the only subjects you talk about with your sons, please don't shy away from them. Your boys need your counsel, guidance, and input on these subjects. And as you talk about these very important matters, you will find that the trust between you will flourish. I am especially concerned, Elder Ballard said, that we communicate openly and clearly with our sons about sexual matters. Your sons are growing up in a world that openly embraces and flaunts early, casual, and thoughtless promiscuity. Your sons simply cannot avoid the blatant sexual imagery, messages, and enticements that are all around them. Fathers and church leaders need to have open and frequent discussions that teach and clarify how young men of the priesthood handle this issue. And be positive about how wonderful and beautiful physical intimacy can be when it happens within the, the, the bounds the Lord has set, including temple covenants and commitments of eternal marriage. You know, one of my favorite teachings on this subject that I heard Elder Ballard share years ago, and I probably need to find the source on this, it's so good, but it, as a father at the time, it taught me a great lesson, but Elder Ballard was saying that there's something wrong if priesthood leaders know things about our children that their parents don't know. Or in other words, that the first line of defense and the first line of help should be parents, and that priesthood leaders are there to help the parents. But if a son or daughter is struggling with with worthiness, with sexual temptation, with other moral challenges. Parents should know that. Parents should be involved enough to know that and should be the ones that can send their children to the right places for help and for support. Well, anyway, I just think that's such a great, such a great message for, from Elder Ballard 
to fathers and sons, and I'm so grateful for the things that he shared. It's blessed my life. Not long after Elder Elder Ballard spoke to fathers and sons, he gave another talk on mothers and daughters. In fact, he began his talk this way, Brothers and sisters, six months ago I spoke in the priesthood session of General Conference of Fathers and Sons, and as you might expect, my five daughters and 24 granddaughters and ever-increasing number of great-granddaughters have been asking for equal time. So today I will speak primarily to the mothers and the daughters of the church. And by the way, Elder Ballard has always been such a great advocate for women, for women's issues, as he's, you know, with along with his wife Barbara, raised five daughters and now, of course, all these granddaughters that he, he mentions. In that talk, Elder Ballard quotes Joseph F. Smith, by the way, who you now know would be his great-grandfather. It is not for you to be led by the women of the world. It is for you to lead the women of the world in everything that is praiseworthy, everything that is godlike, everything that is uplifting and purifying to the children of men. Now, Joseph F. Smith shared that statement with women many, many years ago, but I love the idea that we're not to be led by the women of the world, but to lead the women of the world. Then Elder Ballard said this, Young women, your mothers adore you. They see in you the promise of future generations. Everything you accomplish, every challenge you overcome brings them pure joy. And likewise, your worries, your heartaches are their worries and their heartaches, he said. And that's certainly true for all of us as parents and grandparents. Those heartaches and those worries are ours as well. Elder Ballard then said, quote, It is unfortunately all too easy to illustrate the confusion and distortion of womanhood in, in contemporary society. Immodest, immoral, intemperate women jam the airwaves, monopolize magazines, and slink across movie screens, all while being celebrated by the world. The Apostle Paul spoke of perilous times that would come in the last days and specifically referenced something that may have seemed particularly perilous to him. Silly women laden with sins led away by diverse lusts. See 2 Timothy 3, 1. And verse 6, popular culture today often makes women look silly, inconsequential, mindless, and powerless. It objectifies them and disrespects them, and then suggests that they are able to leave their mark on mankind only by seduction. Easily the most pervasively dangerous message the adversary sends to women about themselves. And then here's, this is so good, he says, And so, my dear young women, with all my heart I urge you not to look to contemporary culture for your role models and mentors. Please look to your faithful mothers for a pattern to follow. Model yourselves after them, not after celebrities whose standards are not the Lord's standards and whose values may not reflect an eternal perspective. Look to your mother. Learn from her strengths, her courage, and her faithfulness. Listen to her. She may not be a whiz at texting. She may not even have a Facebook page. But when it comes to matters of the heart and the things of the Lord, she has a wealth of knowledge. And as you approach the time for marriage and young motherhood, she will be your greatest source of wisdom. No other person on earth loves you in the same way or is willing to sacrifice as much to encourage you and to help you find happiness in this life and forever. Love your mother, my young sisters. Respect her and listen to her and trust her. She has your very best interests at heart, and she cares about your eternal safety and happiness. Boy, I really appreciate that perspective from Elder Ballard, to look to your moms, look to those women as role models. Now Elder Ballard is going to talk about moral values for a minute. He says, throughout the history of the world, women have always been teaching of moral values. That instruction begins in the cradle and continues throughout the lives of their children. Today, our society is bombarded with messages about womanhood and motherhood that are dangerously and wickedly wrong. Following these messages can put your daughters on the path to sin and self-destruction. Your daughters may not understand that unless you tell them, or better, unless you show them how to make good choices as mothers in Israel, you are your daughter's first line of defense against the wiles of the world. Now, mothers, I understand, he said, that it sometimes appears that our children aren't paying attention to the lessons we're trying to teach them. Believe me, he said, I've seen that glazed-over look that comes 
to the eyes of teenagers just when you're coming to what you think is the best part of your instruction. Let me assure you that even when you think your daughter is not listening to a thing you say, she is still learning from you as she watches you to see if your actions match your words. As Ralph Waldo Emerson is believed to have said, what you do speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. I personally believe what Elder Ballard is teaching is true. I love the idea taught by my good friend Randall Wright that a teenager can smell a hypocrite a mile away. And I know that our children are often looking to see if we're actually going to live the way that we're teaching them. And if our messages to them are consistent with the way that we live our lives. Then Elder Ballard gave this advice. He said, quote, Mothers, teach your daughters that a faithful daughter of God avoids the temptation to gossip or to judge one another. In a sermon to the Relief Society of Nauvoo, the prophet Joseph counseled, The tongue is an unruly member. Hold your tongues about things of no moment, he said. And then Elder Ballard adds this, that in recent years there has been a rash of articles, books, and even films written about women and girls who gossip and who are mean. Anyway, Satan is always attempting to undermine the most precious element of a woman's divine nature. The nature to nurture. A mother-daughter relationship, he continues, is where a daughter learns how to nurture by being nurtured. She is loved, she is taught and experiences firsthand what it feels like to have someone care about her enough to correct her while continuing to encourage her and to believe in her at the same time. And then Elder Ballard said, Remember, sisters, God is the source of all moral and spiritual power, and we gain access to that power by entering into covenants with him and keeping those covenants. Mothers, teach your daughters the importance of making covenants, and then show them how to keep those covenants in such a way that they will desire to live worthy to go to the temple. And then he said this, In today's world, this means talking to your daughters about sexual matters. Your daughters, as well as your sons, are coming of age in a world that openly embraces early, casual, and thoughtless promiscuity. Immodest, unchaste women are glamorized and all too often celebrated and emulated. And while there are steps that we can take in our homes and families to minimize our exposure to these unsavory elements of contemporary living, your daughters cannot entirely avoid the blatant sexual messages and enticements that surround them. You need to have frequent open discussions during which you teach your daughters the truth about these issues. And then Elder Ballard recommends that mothers teach their daughters about the things of the Spirit, that they point them to the Scriptures, that they help create experiences with them that will help them cherish the blessings of the Gospel, the priesthood, that keeping covenants brings great happiness. In fact, he said, quote, make sure they know that keeping covenants is the safest road to eternal happiness, and if needed, teach them how to repent and how to remain pure and worthy. I just really value and appreciate what Elder Ballard has taught regarding in both of these talks, being the father of seven daughters and one son and now 24 grandchildren. His messages on these topics are timeless, and they're basic, and they remind us of some of the most important principles in staying connected to our children. One last message to share on this topic of the family. It was a talk that Elder Ballard gave at Education Week on August the 19th, 2003. So basically 20 years ago, he gave this message called The Sacred Responsibilities of Parenthood. And once again, I wish we had time to just read through the whole thing, but he spends the first few minutes reminding us about the family proclamation, why we have the proclamation, the world that we live in, the incredible attacks on the family, uh, driven by Satan himself. And uh, anyway, he just he just mentions some of these great concerns about the family. And then he shares several principles that I would like to share just to strengthen the family. And I won't take tons of time on this, but I think it's worth noting. First and foremost, he said, we need full and equal partnerships. That's number one, that men men and women are joined together in marriage and they need to work together in full partnership. 
The idea here is that men do not outrank women, that women do not outrank men, that we work together as a team. We both have different responsibilities. We understand that. But we need to work together, no question about it. And then number two, his next message was to fathers. He said, number two, fathers are to preside over their families in love and righteousness and are responsible to provide the necessities of life and protection for their families. These men perform priesthood ordinances and give blessings. They pray for with their family members. And sorry, they pray with and for their family members, collectively and individually. They set an example of respect and love for their eternal companion and the mother of their children. In fact, in all things, they follow the example of the Savior and strive to be worthy of his name. He also added this, and I love it, that we've, a father's role doesn't end with presiding, providing, and protecting. On a day-to-day basis, fathers can and should help with the essential nurturing and bonding associated with feeding, playing, storytelling, loving, and all the rest of the activities that make up family life. And grandfathers continue their shepherding role as long as they live. In this talk, number three is mothers. And Elder Ballard says that the proclamation teaches that mothers are primarily responsible for the nurturing of their children. And that nurturing refers to parenting behavior such as warmth, support, bonding, attachment, recognizing each child's unique needs and abilities, and attending to their children's needs. Nurturing in and of itself is more important in the development of a child than any particular method or technique of child rearing. It hardly needs saying that nurturing is best carried out in a stable, safe family context. In fact, Elder Ballard said more than 50 years ago, the first presidency proclaimed that motherhood is near to divinity. It is the highest, holiest service to be assumed by mankind. It places her who honors its holy calling and service next to the angels, he said. I love that. A mother's nurturing love arouses in children from their earliest days on earth an awakening of the memories of love and goodness they experience in their pre-mortal existence. Wow, what a powerful concept that is. Now, this is the fun part of Elder Ballard, and I love it, but Elder Ballard has a great sense of humor. And uh, he said this in in this talk, speaking to mothers still, that sometimes you sisters may feel like the brethren don't appreciate you and the important contribution you make to your families and to the Lord's work, and perhaps if husbands and fathers experience what someone suggested might be planned for a next Survivor show, it would make a difference. And here's the Survivor show. Six men will be dropped off on an island with one van and four children each for six weeks. Each child plays two sports and either takes music or dance classes. There is no access to fast food. Each man must take care of his four children, keep his assigned house clean, correct all homework, complete science projects, cook, do laundry, etc. The men only have access to television when the children are asleep and all chores are done. There is only one TV and there is no remote control. The men must put on makeup daily, applying it to themselves either while driving or while making four lunches. They must attend weekly PTA meetings, clean up after the sick children at 3 o'clock a.m., make an Indian hut model with six, six toothpicks, a tortilla, or tortilla, sorry, and one marker and get a four-year-old to eat a serving of peas. The children vote them off the island based on performance. The winner is the first one voted off who gets back to work. Anyway, all kinds of variations of that. The fourth principle in this talk, Elder Ballard just called it Principles for Marriage and Families. He quotes from the proclamation that successful marriage and marriages and families are established and maintained on principles of faith, prayer, repentance, forgiveness, respect, love, compassion, work, and wholesome recreation. He said parents should work to create loving, eternal connections with their children. Reproof or correction will, to be sure, sometimes required, but it must be done sensitively, persuasively, and with an increase of love. And in this message, like in other messages, Elder Ballard really wants to focus or encourages parents to focus on the principle of listening. He said parents must listen, really listen to what their children are saying. They must know what is important to each child. I learned this lesson, he said, years ago from one of our daughters. She was only four or five at the time. She came into the room all excited. I was reading the newspaper and she had something very much on her mind that was important to her. 
And, of course, I was just responding, yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. And all of a sudden, the newspaper came crashing down under her two little hands. She grabbed my face between her hands so that she could look me right in the eye. This was a little four- or five-year-old teaching her father a great lesson. She said, Daddy, you're not listening to me, and she was right. And the Elder Ballard says to parents, let's do better at this one for sure. In fact, very specifically, Elder Ballard said, parents, let's listen and know what is important in the lives of our children. If we fail to listen, if we don't try to understand their point of view, how can we expect them to come to us for guidance in making important decisions? And I think that's so great. Now, the last one, number five in this talk, probably not a complete shock or surprise, but it's actually an incredible principle, and it's the idea of family councils. We know that Elder Ballard will go down in history for the idea of counseling with our councils, right? His famous book. But having input from our children on our families is so crucial. So family councils are very important tools and systems to help us navigate our way through family problems. Elder Ballard told the story of a family that began to feel an unusual amount of contention in their home. So they called a family council together to discuss the situation. The father then and the mother explained to their children what they had observed and asked how each felt about it. The mother and father learned that since their two oldest children had left home, one to be married and one to go to college, an unfair burden of responsibility had been unwittingly shifted to the two oldest children remaining at home, and they were becoming resentful. By counseling together and listening to what their children were feeling, a more equitable distribution of responsibility was made among the children, resolving much of the frustration and tension in their home. Once again, the idea of seeking input from our children, of parents not thinking they know everything and have all the answers, but really listening can make all the difference in the world if we want to create peace in our homes. Elder Ballard then concludes this message this way, that we need to remember that our families are imperfect because they are made up of imperfect people. Still, there are things we can do to improve our families and each individual who lives within them as we move forward together toward fulfilling the Creator's eternal plan for us. In all that we do, we must always remember that the voice of the Spirit is an essential component, and it is a still, small voice. God's most significant messages come quietly, softly, and sweetly. Barbara and I have raised seven children, and there have been some traumatic, difficult challenges through the years. Through my wife's influence, there has been a spirit of calmness in our family, even when times were tough. She has taught me through firsthand personal experience that you cannot teach or cradle or weld together a celestial eternal family if there's contention in the home. And then he says, if any of you are struggling with contention in your homes, you can change this. Talk to your family. Ask for their help. Tell them you don't want a contentious spirit in the home and discuss what each family member can do to prevent it. And then he quoted President Marion G. Romney in a quote, in a statement that will never, ever wear out. I feel certain that if in our homes parents will read from the Book of Mormon prayerfully and regularly, both by themselves and with their children, the spirit of that great book will come to permeate our homes and all who dwell therein. The spirit of reverence will increase. Mutual respect and consideration for each other will grow. And the spirit of contention will depart. What a great, great teaching from Marion G. Romney, but also a reminder of it from Elder Ballard. Now let me shift gears just for a minute and talk about another great principle. The talk that Elder Ballard gave in General Conference was called, Oh, That Cunning Plan of the Evil One. And once again, my discovery always is these talks that they give 10, 15, 20 years ago, I reread them now and think, oh my gosh, this seems like it applies even more now than it did then. He talks about the fall in the Rocky Mountains and the wonderful colors. This is how he starts off his talk. And that autumn is a particularly exciting time for fly fishermen, for this is the time that trout are driven by an almost insatiable hunger to feast in order to fortify their bodies against the scarcity of winter food. And that the goal of the fly fisherman is to catch trout through skillful deception. The adept fisherman studies trout behavior, whether the water current and the types of insects trouts eat and when those insects hatch. He will often craft by hand the lures he uses. 
He knows these artificial insects embedded with tiny hooks need to be perfect a perfect deception because the trout will identify even the slightest flaw and reject the fly. What a thrill it is to watch a trout break the surface of the water, inhale the fly, and resist until it is finally exhausted and reeled in. The test is the pitting of the fisherman's knowledge, he says, and skill against the noble trout. The use of artificial lures to fool and catch fish is an example of the way Lucifer often tempts, deceives, and tries to ensnare us. And like the fly fisherman who knows that trout are driven by hunger, Lucifer knows our hunger or weakness and tempts us with counterfeit lures which, if taken, can cause us to be yanked from the stream of life into his unmerciful influence. And unlike a fly fisherman who catches and releases the fish unharmed back into the water, Lucifer will not voluntarily let go. His goal is to make his victims as miserable as he is. As Lehi said, and because he, Lucifer, had fallen from heaven and had become miserable forever, he sought also the misery of all mankind. And then Elder Ballard said, I add my voice today to the voices of my brethren that Lucifer is a clever and cunning intelligence. One of the main methods he uses against us is his ability to lie and to to deceive and to convince us that evil is good and good is evil. Now, once again, that talk was given a while back, but think of the relevance today of exactly what's happening in our world and how Satan is influencing so many that evil is good and good is evil. In October of 2014, Changing gears once again, Elder Ballard gave a great message, a great talk that's had an impact on me called Stay in the Boat and Hold On. And to open up that talk, he shared this story that recently a friend of mine took his son on a trip down the Colorado River through Cataract Canyon located in southeastern Utah. The canyon is famous for its 14 miles of whitewater rapids. That can be particularly hazardous. And in preparation for their adventure, they had carefully reviewed the National Park Service website, which contains important information about personal preparedness and common hidden hazards. And at the beginning of the trip, one of the experienced river guides renewed important safety instructions, emphasizing three rules that would ensure the group's safety, safe travel through the rapids. Rule number one, stay in the boat. Rule number two, always wear a life jacket. And rule number three, always hold on with both hands. And then again, he said, with even more emphasis, but of all, above all, remember, rule number one is to stay in the boat. Now, this has relevance for me personally because I just returned from a whitewater rafting trip in Montana with our family. And luckily, it probably wasn't as rough as Cataract Canyon because we, we had our grandchildren with us on those boats. But there was a great, great lesson to stay anchored to that boat, right? Because the boat is going to stay on top of the water. And then Elder Ballard said this, Most of us experience periods in our lives where the tranquil waters of life are appreciated. At other times, we encounter whitewater rapids that are metaphorically compared to those found in the 14-mile stretch through Cataract Canyon. Challenges that may include physical and mental health issues, the death of a loved one, dashed dreams and hopes, and for some, even a crisis of faith when faced with life's problems, questions, and doubts. And he says, the Lord in his goodness has provided help, including a boat, essential supplies such as life jackets and experienced river guides who give guidance and safety and instructions to help us make our way down the river of life to our final destination. And so deviating just for a minute to that uh, river rafting trip that we had as a family, One of the things that Janie and I love to do with our grandkids after every activity is talk about how what we just did applies to the gospel and what life lessons are there. As we were paddling down the river, or at least floating down the river, we had just started. My granddaughter, Millie, turned to me and she said to me, Coach, because that's what her grandkids call me. But she says, Coach, you're not paddling. Start paddling. And I said, okay, Millie, here's lesson number one. It's going to be a great lesson. You're going to love this. But the reason I'm not paddling is because the guide did not tell me to paddle yet. I only paddle when he tells me to because I don't want to do anything wrong. And she just said, oh. And sure enough, a little bit later, our guide explained to us that when he gave the command to paddle is when we needed to paddle. And when he tells us to stop, we need to stop. And 
And Millie got that, received that great lesson, but we then talked to her and our other grandkids about how important it is to follow the guide. But, it, but that if we follow the guide and his instructions completely, we're going to be saved. So here's, here's Elder Ballard. Now back to his talk. Rule number one. Let's think about rule number one. Stay in the boat. Brigham Young commonly employed the old ship Zion as a metaphor for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he said on one occasion that we are in the midst of the ocean. A storm comes on, and as sailors say, she labors very hard. I am not going to stay here, says one. I don't believe this is the ship Zion. But we are in the midst of the ocean. I don't care. I'm not going to stay here. Off goes the coat, and he jumps overboard. Will he not be drowned? Yes. So are those who leave this church. This is the old ship Zion. Let us stay in it. Quoting Elder Ballard still, who's now quoting Brigham Young on another occasion. Back to Brigh- it's Brigham Young. It is in calm weather when the old ship of Zion is sailing with a gentle breeze and when all is quiet on deck that some of the brethren want to go out in the whaling boats to have a swim and some get drowned. Others drifted away and others get back to the ship. But let us stick to the old ship and she will carry us safely into the harbor and you need not be concerned. And then the last quote from Brigham Young, We are on the old ship Zion. God is at the helm and will stay there. All is right, sing hallelujah, for the Lord is here. He dictates, guides, and directs. If the people will have implicit confidence in their God, never forsake their covenants nor their God, he will guide us right. Well, I love the idea, as long as we're doing the right thing, that God will be with us and that he will, he will guide us. Now, just on, as in our river journey in Montana through that whitewater, where we learn that we're going to listen to the guide and do exactly what he says, Elder Ballard built on that and said that he had, he had just recently spoke at a new mission president seminar and counseled the leaders this way, that keep the eyes of the mission on the leaders of the church. We will not and cannot lead you astray. And as you teach your missionaries to focus their eyes on us, teach them to never follow those who think they know more about how to administer to the affairs of the church than Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ do through the priesthood leaders who have keys to preside. And then he said this, I have discovered in my ministry that those who have become lost and confused are typically those who have most often forgotten that when the first presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve speak with with a united voice, it is the voice of the Lord for that time, that the Lord reminds us that whether by my own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same. Or in other words, They leave the old ship Zion, they fall away, they apostatize, and tragically they often experience short-term and eventually long-term unintended consequences, not only for themselves, but also for their families, he said. And our local church leaders, like seasoned river guides, have been tutored by life's experiences, have been trained and mentored by apostles and prophets and other officers of the church, and most important, have been tutored by the Lord himself. And then Elder Ballard said this, and I think it's so great. It fits with our podcast perfectly, Standing by My Servants. I have heard that some people think the church leaders live in a bubble. What they forget is that we are men and women of experience. We have lived our lives in so many places and have worked with many people from different backgrounds. Our current assignments literally take us around the globe where we meet political, religious, business, and humanitarian leaders of the world. And although we have visited leaders in the White House in Washington, D.C., and leaders of nations and religions throughout the world, we have also visited with the most humble families and people on earth. And when you thoughtfully thoughtfully consider our lives and ministry, you will most likely agree that we see and experience the world in few ways others do. You will realize that we live in less than a bubble than most people. There is something about the individual and combined wisdom of church leaders that should provide some comfort. We have experienced it all, including the consequence of different public laws and policies, disappointments, tragedies, and deaths in our own families. We are not out of touch with your lives. Well, I love that from Elder Ballard and agree with it. And I do hear on occasion that there are people who feel and believe that our apostles and prophets just don't know much. And the more I study about their lives, the more I understand how well-read they are, how informed they are, 
how much more they know about the events of the world than most of us ever would dream of knowing. And then Elder Ballard said this in his talk, Along with the rule number one, as I've applied it, remember rules two and three. Always wear a life jacket and hold on with both hands. The words of the Lord are found in the scriptures and the teachings of the apostles and prophets. They provide us counsel and direction that, when followed, will act as a spiritual life jacket and will help us know how we can hold on with both hands. In this, in this message, Elder Ballard discusses why different people leave or may step away from the church. And one of those reasons that he focuses on for a few minutes is that there are people that have a lot of questions and doubts. And then Elder Ballard said this, that of course, having questions and experiencing doubts are not incongruent with dedicated discipleship. Recently, the Quorum of the Twelve in the First Presidency stated that we understand that from time to time, church members will have questions about church doctrine, history, or practice. Members are always free to ask such questions and earnestly seek greater understanding. Then Elder Ballard said that, remember, Joseph Smith himself had questions that began the restoration. He was a seeker and, like Abraham, found answers to life's most important questions. And I think what Elder Ballard is saying is, of course we want people to ask questions. Of course we want people to seek and come to know. What I worry about sometimes is I'm not sure if a lot of our people are going to the right places to seek for some of those answers. If we're in the scriptures, in the words of our prophets, the Spirit certainly will surround us and buoy us up and testify of the truths of the gospel. I know that. Let me conclude this episode today with an experience I'd like to share with Elder, that Elder Ballard shared that I think is a reminder that these are men and women who still have trials and challenges in their lives, but also follow the formula that they've given us which is to seek the Lord and to hold on tight to the iron rod and to the gospel. Elder Ballard said that in January of 2004, our family suffered the tragic loss of our grandson Nathan in an airplane crash. Nathan had served in the Russian-speaking Baltic mission. He loved the people and knew it was a privilege to serve the Lord. Three months after I officiated at his eternal marriage to his sweetheart Jennifer, this accident took his life. Nathan's being taken so suddenly from our mortal presence turned each of our hearts and minds to the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while it's impossible for me to put into words the full meaning of the atonement of Christ, I pray that I can explain what his atonement means to me and our family and what it might also mean to you and yours. The Savior's precious birth, life, atonement in the Garden of Gethsemane, suffering on the cross, Burial in Joseph's tomb and glorious resurrection all become a renewed reality for us. The Savior's resurrection assures all of us that someday we too will follow him and experience our own resurrection. What peace, what comfort this great gift is, which comes through the loving grace of Jesus Christ, the Savior and Redeemer of all mankind. Because of him, we know we can be with Nathan again. There is no greater expression of love than heroic than the heroic atonement performed by the Son of God. Were it not for the plan of our Heavenly Father established before the world began, in a very real sense, all mankind, past, present, and future, would have been left without the hope of eternal progression. As a result of Adam's transgression, mortals were separated from God and would be forever unless a way was found to break the bands of death. This would not be easy, for it required the vicarious sacrifice of one who was sinless and who could therefore take upon himself the sins of all mankind. When I think of my grandson Nathan and how precious he is to us, I can see and feel more clearly how our Heavenly Father must feel about all of his children. We do not want God to weep because we did not do all that we could do to share with his children the revealed truths of the gospel. I am grateful for the teachings of Elder Ballard. In my life, he has had a great impact. I think of all the messages that he's given on missionary work. When you think of it, Elder Ballard was the driving force, or at least one of the driving forces, of raising the bar and the expectations of becoming the greatest generation of missionaries the church has ever known. He's been instrumental in teaching us about councils and receiving input from many different members of our wards and stakes and families before we make decisions of the family itself and these great teachings that we've rehearsed today 
on strengthening families and bonds between fathers and mothers. I'm grateful for his faithful life, for his willingness to be a miracle worker and to have performed miracles in his life with the Lord's help. I'm so grateful for this man, this great servant of the Lord, this disciple of Jesus Christ. And I share that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.